Hey everybody, Michael June here with Game Changers for Government Contractors, and today I have Stephanie with me. Stephanie, before we hop on and talk about our topic, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, and thanks, Mike, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm Stephanie Geiger. I'm the co-founder and executive vice president of Government Marketing University. I've been doing government marketing for 16 plus years now, so nearly my entire career, so I really live and breathe it every day, so I'm super excited to be able to share a little bit of that wisdom with your audience. With GMARQ, I basically kind of run the show. So I am setting our annual strategic plan, really making sure that what we bring to the market is supportive of our government marketing and communications professionals. Last August, we were acquired by GovExec. And so right now I kind of just run our division within the larger GovExec media company and really just ensure that everything that we're putting out is really supporting all of those amazing marketers and communicators out there that are helping to grind it out and you know make some moves happen in support of their goals of reaching their government customers. Nice. Every time I talk to somebody in government, one of the questions that I have is what actually drew you to government contractors and this whole market? Because it's not your normal market. I don't know. Did you grow up in the D.C. metro area? Did you have a family member? Like what brought you into the field? Yeah, you know, it is weird because I feel like nobody's ever like, I want to be a government marketer when I That's grow up, right? right? <laughs> I didn't. Um, I actually did grow up in the D.C. area. So I'm kind of one of those weird people that has been here for nearly their whole life. I did go away for a little while. I actually thought I was going to be in hospitality. So I went to school for hospitality. I was really just kind of under the assumption that I'd be working in a hotel, running all these fabulous events. And then when I got there and I kind of realized, like, I like the events. I like the client facing stuff. Don't really love the hours that go along with hospitality. I started kind of quickly looking for other alternatives that would allow me to really use some of the skill sets that I felt like I had and I had more to kind of grow on. And I had my first internship with GTSI, which was a stomping ground for a lot of people as they kind of started in the market. I think after that, I just kind of realized, wow, you can apply some really unique practices to this market. And I was just kind of hooked. After that, I continued to pursue, you know, my growth in this field and really appreciated as corny as it sounds that we're supporting some incredibly important missions for our nation. And it was kind of cool to see the impact that you can have even as a marketer on what's happening within this marketplace. And while we're not always doing the sexiest things in our industry, government marketers and communicators are some of the most creative and innovative marketers that I've come across. It's been really cool to be a part of that network of peers and to really grow in the space. You said something there that I found really interesting and I'll come back to here in a second. But, you know, when I was growing up, I never thought I would be in government contract. Actually, I didn't know what I was going to do. I grew up in Mm -hmm. a small town in Louisiana where the job options were, you know, go work on a farm, go work in a factory, go work on construction or be on welfare. Like those were the top four industries, basically. And I wanted nothing to do with any of them. And I accidentally wound up in the army. I met some government contractors and I thought that was neat, you know, what they're doing. And so I just wound up in it. But what you said that was interesting to me is I think some people might hear this and think, oh, that's kind of corny or whatever. It really does feel, I guess, patriotic would be the best way to describe it, that you're actually contributing to something of real value with real people, real boots on the ground, whether there are people that are working in the Pentagon or there are people that are working in Afghanistan, wherever it is, that's how I felt when Mm -hmm. I first became a government contractor. It's like, I'm actually helping our troops around the world with the things they have. We sold a communication software. And so it really felt like this, I'm doing my duty. I'm I'm this patriotic mode to be working in this field. And it feels so good to help people that need help. Some people can hear that and again say, well, it's kind of corny or whatever, but that's the feeling that I had. And I love that. I love to hear that from other folks. It's a rare thing to be able to contribute at that level and not be in uniform or in civil service. 
Did you know we have our own government contracting community? It's called Federal Access. And inside Federal Access, you have all the tools, tips, strategies, documents, templates, everything you're ever going to need to be a government contractor. But you also get brought into our ecosystem. You get into our private LinkedIn group and you get into our live events and all that kind of thing when you become a member of Federal Access. To learn more, go to federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's get back into this episode. What drew you to marketing of all things? My dad kind of did marketing operations. He actually ran a lot of nonprofits. And so kind of the other side of the having a purpose, seeing kind of what your work is doing, right? I always just really thought, wow, this is an interesting opportunity. And I just remember, you know, in high school, we had to do some speeches on specific kind of topic. I felt in me like the ability to kind of see the issue and translate it into my own message and be able to kind of position it. And obviously that was just in high school, so at a very small scale, but I really liked that. And so again, I started more in events and kind of meandered to more of like a traditional marketing role. But I really liked the idea of coming up with a strategy, being able to set a cohesive message and then Mm. bring that to a marketplace and try to convert prospects into customers. And being able to do that is challenging. It provided some uniqueness in the sense that no customer has the same challenges, no type of industry is the same. And so you have these unique ways to be able to really approach it and apply some creative thinking. And I really was kind of passionate about being able to, be challenged in that way and find a unique perspective on being able to help customers understand, you know, either a product or a service. I always love hearing people's stories. And it seems like a lot of people that grew up in the metro, if you will, they always have a parent, you know, it's Mm -hmm. it's either one or both that was involved somehow. And I guess that's what you get when you live in the metro, right? You know, there's always a parent that's usually involved in it. Again, I grew up in a small farm town and, you know, my dad was retired when I was a kid. They had me late in the years and they farmed for a while. They had no clue. This was the last thing they ever wanted for me to kind of go down this route. So I love hearing that people seeing their family doing these types of things and then sort of following their footsteps or at least getting some sort of motivation or direction from that. I think that's really cool because it's so different from the way I grew up. So I love to hear those kind of stories. When it comes to marketing, we're going to be talking a little bit today about tips for developing a strategic marketing campaign. One of the things that I think out of the gate that would be helpful for you to describe the difference between between strategy and tactics when it comes to marketing because every time I engage with somebody and I have a conversation one of the first things that I think they're confused about is they say they want a strategy but what they <laughs> really want is a handful of tactics right you know, that's really what they want maybe you could start there and then kind of you know tail that into why it's so important to have a strategic plan as you're doing this yes and I think a lot of people do a lot of tactics and it doesn't do anything really for them. So yeah, the strategy to me is the most important part. Strategy is really taking a look at what are your company goals for the next three to five years, sitting down with all your stakeholders and identifying the path to get there. And as a marketer, it's building out your annual go-to-market plan. So what are your sales reps hearing from their customers? What's the word on the street that then you need to bring back and understand what are those challenges that each of those customers are facing? And how can I tell that story for our company through the 
tactics and through the different things that we're going to implement. But the strategy is what's going to tie it all together. The strategy is really the overarching roadmap for you for the year to help you have one goal and kind of one marching order for military terms there, right? To be going for it so that everybody really understands what are we trying to accomplish this year and the next couple of years so that we're setting the foundation in order to meet those goals. And the tactics are the things like email campaigns or going to events. It's the types of execution style elements that you're doing in order to map back to that overarching strategic plan or strategic goals. There's a variety of different tactics that you want to use in your strategic plan in order to meet those goals. And it's going to vary dependent upon the customer or the audience. But the tactics are really what are you executing on in order to kind of map back to that strategy and those overarching goals. Doing tactics without the strategic plan is a huge mistake. I mean, it really does seem like a recipe for failure. Like you'll have some success, but it won't be necessarily in line with what you're trying to achieve. It'll be very random in a lot of the cases. And that's where people always ask me, they're like, well, I don't understand why I'm not marching towards this goal. Well, what's your plan? Well, I'm just going to keep responding to RFPs. That's my (laughs) whole plan. That's literally like full stop. There's nothing more to the plan than we're just going to respond to RFPs. Well, what kind of RFPs? Who's your agency? None of those types of things factor in. It's just like anything remotely in our wheelhouse that touches our wheelhouse that could touch our wheelhouse. You know, we're going to respond to, I was talking to a client this morning, actually one of my coaches this morning. And he said, Mike, have you ever had a problem where a client only wants to laser focus on one thing? I'm like, that's not a problem. (laughs) That would be a blessing. I said, normally I've got clients that are like, well, we kind of want to do landscaping, but if some IT support would come up, we'd do that. And then, you know, we'd like to dabble in healthcare a little bit. And then from time to time, we sell Jeep parts. I've said this in other podcasts. I don't know where cybersecurity and janitorial have come together. (laughs) But for some reason, every time I turn over a rock, there's a company that does cybersecurity and janitorial. And I'm like, it's okay that you do those things, but you're going to have to pick something. It's really hard to build a strategy around a janitorial cybersecurity company. I giggle because it's so true. Honestly, I see this all the time, Mike. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, it's for a lot of market entrants because they feel like I just need to get as much experience as possible right, and I'm just right. going to kind of go wherever I see anything on a bid board that looks like I can respond to it or an RFP. But a lot of companies don't understand that when that RFP hits the street, it's probably been written for somebody else at that point. And right. you need to be doing a lot of pre-programmatic marketing in order to be successful. There's a lot of other ways, I think, for market entrants or small businesses that are trying to grow their footprint to be more smart about how they're using their time and their resources because it just hurts my heart to see yeah. people spinning their wheels and spending this money and putting time towards things that are just not going to be effective for them in their marketing efforts and to grow their business there's got to be a concerted effort and that they do double down on either particular agencies or a particular sweet spot when it comes to technology you can be so much more successful if right. you are more laser focused right that's a really good point there you make about the market entrance it's a really good observation because i see that a lot in the people that are brand new to the market it's a one maybe two person company and they're like, I can do all of this stuff because it's in my personal wheelhouse and I'm not sure how to choose. On the surface, it seems like a good idea to just throw as many hooks in the water as you can, see Mm -hmm. where you're catching fish and then follow that, right? But they don't realize that this market is so different than the Mm -hmm. other stuff they do and how, look, you're trying to gain past performance in a specific area so you can grow the area, so you can mature from a sub to a prime and all those things that we 
we know as people who are entrenched in this market, maybe that's a, a good point you can make here around marketing and developing your plan is how is this market drastically different when it comes to marketing than mm-hmm. the commercial market? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you know, this is such a crowded marketplace. It's uber competitive. Being able to really truly zero in on where you feel like you can be successful and understanding what those capabilities are to me is just like the no brainer and the first step as you're coming into this market. Otherwise, you're going to sink, unfortunately. A lot of the benefits specifically to marketing on the commercial space, we just can't do them in government. I remember when I was part of a larger OEM and the commercial team was like taking their customers to Hamilton and they had PGA golf, the US Open tickets, like all of this stuff. And I'm just like, we could never do any of those things in the government space. And then we were still trying to have to like scrap for budget just to put together like a user training or something. I think the major difference is just that commercial marketing organizations do not understand the level of touch that is required for the government space. It's not like you can just do a giant higher messaging blast that goes out to like all of your database and it's going to convert in the same way that it would for commercial. You can't use these high-end events or like these high-end experiences to convert customers. You have to be much more like guerrilla marketing, a little bit scrappier when it comes to government because you're more challenged in the way that you're able to engage with government and GDPR and all of these other things that are coming out that are making it even more challenging from an email communication perspective. It just means that the personal touch and the personalization is so much more important for government and really making sure that if you're putting out an email communication, if you're doing outreach, it better align with what that customer's needs are. And you better understand like, what is their strategic plan? What are their mission goals? And don't just send out some like blanketed civilian or blanketed DOD message because you segmented your database in that way. Like it's just not going to work the same. I think you just have to be a lot smarter about the way that you're messaging and the way that you're engaging. You just don't have as much money or as much opportunity as I think you do in the commercial space to kind of do a little bit more A-B testing too. And so you just have to be a little bit more knowledgeable of your customer base when you're doing some of the engagement with them. I think that's spot on. So what are, say, your top three or four tips when someone is creating a strategic marketing plan? I think first for me is repeatable process-driven marketing. This is something that as a marketing consultant, we did all the time for companies where you don't need to be recreating the wheel every single time you're building out your strategic plan. So look at ways to templatize some of what you're doing annually, as well as then when you look at your specific campaigns. And so I think from a strategic planning perspective, I love a good SWOT. So do something annually where you're really understanding the company's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and having all the stakeholders come together during those discussions so that you can get the buy-in, understand what the goals are, and then use that as you're implementing or determining what the tactics are as far as that plan is concerned. I also think that understanding that not everything is going to be 100% successful. So giving yourself some wiggle room in your plan for reevaluating, for setting some benchmarks, and then determining, okay, is this working? Can we keep going? Do we need to like massage our message? Do we need to massage the tactic a little bit in order to be more successful with this plan? But just not being under the assumption that you can set it and forget it for the year, like you're going to have to be doing some kind of gut checks on how things are moving along throughout the plan. So I think that those are like a couple of tips to make sure that you're going down the right path and making sure that you're all kind of going in alignment to one roadmap that you've all agreed upon. I mean, your sales organization is a wealth of knowledge. So don't just go build your plan in a vacuum, right? Make sure that you're talking to all of the people internally that are 
regularly engaging with the prospects and the customers. I think that's spot on. You know, one of the shows I used to watch, The Flash, I don't know if you've ever watched that. But yeah. So one of the characters <laughs> on The Flash, you know, his thing was make the plan, execute the plan, the plan goes off the rails, throw away the plan, make a new plan. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts of that whole show that I remember. And it's so true. The plan's probably going to go off the rails. Mike Tyson was famous for your plan is perfect until you get hit in the face, right? Right. And the moment that happens, the plan goes out the window and you've got to execute a new plan. It's so true for people. And I think the ones that can be flexible, but yet still focused on, hey, that's not working, but we still are headed in this direction. It's kind of like if I was on a trip and all of a sudden I come up to a road and it's blocked off, there's an accident. Well, we're still going to Florida. So Mm -hmm. let's get off the highway. Let's go back road. Let's get back on the interstate, get Mm -hmm. back on where we're going and not just be like, well, I'm just going to wait here until they fix this. A lot of people, when they hit that roadblock, they're like, well, we're just going to sit in traffic. We're not going to adjust. We're just going to take what life is throwing at us. And that's not a good recipe for success. Do you have maybe two or three key components that should be in the plan? You talked about goals. Is there one or two others that are like, this component here is really key to an effective marketing plan? Well, goals, yes. And I think they need to be like smart goals. So they also need to be measurable. So I think making sure that the goals are realistic as part of that. The goals need to be there. And I think it's not just your annual goal. Like you have to be forward looking as well because marketing is looking forward in what we're doing. And so making sure you're kind of setting the stage for the future. I think also with your strategic plan, you need to be looking at who are the players within your company that you need to be thinking about like position and create visibility for. What are the types of elements that need to happen in order to support that? Creating a voice and a presence for your brand is going to be really important. The goals are one thing and then looking at your brand presence and being able to make some assumptions associated with that, making some assumptions around positioning some thought leaders within your company, I think are really important. Again, some of this will trickle into the overall tactics of your plan. But I think when you're looking at your plan in general, it needs to be pretty comprehensive of the revenue goals, the visibility goals, and your customer goals, making sure that you're kind of hitting on each of those pillars and the ways in order to be able to achieve them are going to be different types of tactics. I have a little bit different perspective on goals than a lot of people. I see a lot of people that come out and they're like, we want to achieve this monster goal. If you're just starting out, I think the monster goal is one of the fastest ways to go into a depression. A lot of people are not going to hit that monster goal. They're just not. Right. You know, you mentioned the realistic goals, the whole SMART acronym there. And for me, realistic means what can we really do? What can you really pull off? And not what is a stretch goal? Because I think everybody tends to list stretch goals. We're going to make a billion dollars this year. And they're like, you're not even 100,000 right now. How are you going to get to a billion dollars? I'd rather you see three, four, five consecutive quarters of hitting a realistic number. It's okay to then have a stretch number behind it. If you hit the goal Mm -hmm. for the quarter in month one, keep going. But don't set goals that are so big that come the second or third quarter of your business, you're going to be depressed by it. Let's get some momentum and some success, and then we can get into bigger, stretchier goals. But right Mm -hmm. off the bat, let's just hit something that's realistic and knock it out of the park. I like align it to New Year's resolutions. If somebody's been eating out literally like every other day and they're saying, I'm not going to eat out all of 2023, and that's my goal. Well, you know, if you've been used to not cooking meals every single day like that's so unachievable why don't you once a week we get to eat out or you know what i mean like so it's got to be scalable scalable and realistic and so i think to your point is you set something where you can start to see some of those like breadcrumbs and it's building up to something good right versus you set this enormous goal 
you deflate the entire team and the organization because you didn't meet it. And then you're it's like analysis paralysis. I think that goes back to some of the campaigns and things like that. If you don't have an overarching strategy and you've got these onesie twosie campaigns, then if it doesn't work, then you kind of shut down Mm -hmm. because you're not mapping back to that overarching plan. But yeah, it always has to be realistic and achievable. I think for the person that's new to government contracting listening to this, you don't know what you don't know. That's really the biggest thing. You know, you just don't know what you don't know. And as you get in here, you're going to learn so much about the business, about Mm -hmm. being in this market, about how to do things properly. You shouldn't put so much pressure on yourself to close right out of the gate. A lot of times when people come to me and say, hey, Mike, I just quit my job or I just lost my job. I've got six months to make this work. What's your recommendation? I'm like, you should probably go find another job. Realistically, you should go find another job unless a small contract is going to be enough for you. You know, if you tell me you need $300,000 this year just to survive, go find another job and save up some cash and then let's work on this. But it's just not realistic to do that. Again, your first three, six months should be learning for the most part. Like you're going back to school to figure out this market all the times. I don't want to leave without talking about a a couple of things here. One of them is what is your favorite? Because I don't have time for three or four, but what is your favorite tactic that you implement in a marketing plan? Ooh, that's a tough one. Because I always believe in diversity in your marketing plans. One of the things that I feel like I was surprised by, I guess, that has worked so well is appointment setting. We have always found that that's been a nice way to extend the value of your sales organization. And I remember it was like right when COVID started, we wanted to run this DOD campaign and the appointment setting campaign was like the only way that we were breaking in and we saw a really good response rate. And so that's something that to me is a really easy way to get your sales organization to buy in. And so we always have put it in plans because it's a great way for you to say, this is how your marketing organization supports you. We're kind of shortlining your opportunity to get in front of your targeted list of prospects. And we've seen a lot of good success. They're not cheap, but they definitely help to move the needle. So I'd say like, that's one thing that I regularly put in there and I've been surprised by how successful they've continued to be as an effort that needs to be in your plan. So using most likely a third party or having your marketing department work on this to set appointments for your sales team. Yeah, I would say usually, unless if you've got like an inside team that can help partner with your, like a BDR team that can partner with your marketing organization, third parties has always been a great way mm-hmm. in order to be able to facilitate that. Yeah, it's usually pretty easy to scale and train and that sort of thing. Yes. So if, yes. if you were going back to the beginning, what's one thing you wish you had known before you started? I think the value of mentors in this industry is undeniable. And while I've had some great ones, I don't know that I really appreciated as early on as I should have the amount of impact that they can have on your trajectory to success, your acceleration of understanding this market. And so I would say that if you are you know, either a new market entrant mm-hmm. and you're looking for ways to better understand the market, then mentorship is a huge opportunity. If you're a incoming market or communicator, find senior marketers that you can pick their brain and figure out ways to have a mutually beneficial relationship. But that to me, I think is something that I didn't necessarily appreciate right away and maybe had a little bit slower time in kind of finding also mentors that were more specific to this industry because before it was like, you just kind of go find a mentor that's a marketing person and it wasn't the same as having somebody that really has this actual applied knowledge base. That's a really good one. You know, I always tell people this market is so big and yet it's so small 
And it's so wild how if you're working with the right people and you mentioned the word mentor and some people may think, well, it's a formal thing. It doesn't always have to be. Some of your colleagues can mentor you, you know, your banker, if it's the right one, can mentor you. There's so many people in the market that you can learn from who have been there before you. And so, again, it doesn't have to be this formal situation where you meet once a week with them or anything like that. In fact, a lot of times I get so much value just from meeting with other people just like we're doing here today and just having a conversation and something sparks something in your brain and you're like, oh, you know, I didn't think of it that way. Or that's a really good piece of advice that I can now apply to me, just networking and meeting people and having people in your circle that you can go to and ask questions and, you know, rub elbows with a little bit. You just learn so much from that. That's a really good one. Tell me as we wrap up here in the final thoughts, what's the value that Government Marketing University brings to the table for this space for their clients. Mark U was really built because there wasn't anything like it in our market. And so when I mentioned I had a long struggle to find mentors that were specific to my industry, it was because there really wasn't a place like us to help support marketers and communicators and sales and BD folks that were trying to really hone this craft. And so what we do is provide kind of this marketplace of knowledge where we keep the public sector community informed, educated, and connected. So we've got so many different networking opportunities. We have on-demand and live training through online training courses as well as through our, our events. And then we've got some unique programs where we help to provide support for professionals at all level. And our mentor protege program is actually one of those that I started because it was so near and dear to my heart and really making sure to be able to support folks that were either new to the community or maybe somebody that was looking to make a career change and wanted to find somebody that could help to support that effort. So we're excited to be able to continue to grow and really foster the career support that's required to be you know successful in this market. Because as we've talked about, it's very unique. And being able to continue to challenge yourself and really evolve your skill sets and your knowledge base is so important to be able to get those career advancements and be able to look out for those new opportunities. We're definitely very privileged and grateful to be able to do this for the market. And so if people want to learn more, they can go to gmarku.com to see all the things that we offer. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on today and talking about all this. And as always, all of your contact information will be on the podcast notes. So people will be able to go grab that there and reach out to you if they have any questions or anything. But I just want to thank you one last time for coming on and talking about this. Marketing is probably one of my favorite topics to talk about. And I I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. And you definitely sound like you're a closeted marketer here. So (laughs) one of the people that likes to talk about marketing, but might not necessarily do that every single day. I appreciate the opportunity and it was great to meet you. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, I would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast and screenshot it and tag me on LinkedIn or whatever social media you use. So thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you next time.